Today's guest is Vinnie Bradish. He and his brother Sean were once described by the media as Britain's most notorious bank robbers. We talk about armed robbery, why armed robbers are held in such high esteem, what it's like to be sentenced to 22 years in jail. And I suppose I asked a question I never considered before, what it means to have a fair trial. My name's Matt Price, and this is Conversations with Criminals, part one of a two-part conversation with Vinnie Bradish. Sometimes when I do reveal myself, I see how they are, first of all. I don't, it's nothing to be boasting of or anything, but, but when I get to see, if we become friends or whatever, and, uh, and I feel like I can, that they're not going to be jump out of their skin over it, uh, or if I think our friendship is going to go further, then I usually tell them that I've been in jail, because so I, I don't want them thinking oh, that I've kind of tricked them into a friendship. If they want to stay away from me because they've heard I've got a, had a criminal past, sure. then I, I feel like to, to let them be aware of that, you know? Yeah, I guess it must. But they always shocked. They said, I can't believe it. You did all that, all the robberies. I can't believe it, Vin. That's a fucking hell. You never would have thought so. Even my probation officer, when I got out there, goes, they don't think I would have got involved in it, probably because I'm hanging around with my brother that I did, because he had got involved in it before I did. Yeah. And so um, then I jumped on the bandwagon and I started with him, you know. Why, why do you think that people... Um don't think you could possibly be involved with crime? Probably because the way I am, like some people would say, like, because I'm not a violent per- type of person and I'm not aggressive and all that stuff, even though sometimes a person can be and, uh, yeah. and sometimes I probably can if I've if I've got the hump over something, like even when you see and hear all this news, like it makes me angry even when I see everyone going around with masks on sometimes. I think <clears throat> how, they're, how they're all terrified and all that and even, even that anno- sometimes annoys me, you know, but then sometimes... I'm just fine with it all. Yeah. So a person, you can go between this kind of a temperament and another type of temperament. And like, if we do for the armed robberies, for doing that, like, you've just got to be able to just switch on and off. Just, we've seen films and all that kind of stuff when you're growing up and people expect an armed robber to just run in and tell everyone, get on the floor and this, that and the other. But for me, I wouldn't do none of that because I would just say, I'm just watching the door. And uh, and um, I I would let my brother say what he's got to say at the counters, give us the money or whatever, and I would watch the door, and make sure no one was getting out, and like if they were, and we'd and you'd be so quick, you because you you don't want anyone to start acting stupid in there trying to grab hold of you, and um get and start acting the hero, so you would uh, just act quick with surprise. I read it in the army and um some book about the army. They was the something like. Uh, the acronym SAS, surprise, aggression, and speed, and I thought, and that's what I wanted to use for the uh, for the banks. You're surprising them. You're aggressive. You're coming in, demanding what you want, and the speed, getting in and out quick, before anyone times the rack, because you don't want to have to hit anyone or or anything like that, and you don't want to be rolling around on the floor with someone, because otherwise, next thing they're holding onto you, and the old bill could turn up. Would um would hitting somebody. Would you have considered that a failure then, if you had to use actual violence on a job? Would I have considered it a failure? Um, I don't suppose I would have considered it. Off the top of my head now, I wouldn't say I would have considered that a failure. Because, like, you can't predict how how someone's going to react. But if you're in there too long, if you're in there for a minute even, maybe, or something like that, two minutes, which I wouldn't be. But if you was in there a place for one or two minutes, the people are going to start thinking... And like uh, there might be some bloke in there, he could be bigger than you. And next thing he might be thinking, who's this little little fucker coming in here with a gun? Or he might uh, he might be an ex-army fellow, or he could be a copper himself. And they could look at the weapon, and if it's a replica handgun, they could say that looks like a replica, and they might try it, you know. Right. And then he might, and then you might have to hit them or something. And 
but to consider it a failure, I don't, I don't think I would consider it a failure. You were just, you just, the uh, way for me, it was just my job. You know, that's what I was yeah. doing. And like, if I go to work now and I'm hanging a door, I'll know my tools that I've got to use. And then uh, the tools that was the tools of our trade at the time. Who who did the talking when when you did a job? Were you the talker? Uh, mostly, my brother would go to the counter, and I would I would watch the door. Okay. And um and uh, to make sure no one got out. And your brother's called Sean, isn't he? Yeah, what, my brother what, Sean. Yeah. What would he What would he say? Did he have like a like a script? Or no, something? Well, no, nothing scripted. Well, that it, sounds it, odd. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, no, it's nothing scripted. He just he would basically just shout out, give us the fucking money, you know, and <laughs> hand the fucking money over, yeah. lively, and or something like that. You're not saying much. Yeah. And they know what you want is you've got a gun in there, you've got a mask on, anyhow, so you don't even hardly have to say anything, do you? They're probably thinking they've been robbed so many times. Fucking hell, here's a gunman again. and, and Yeah, okay. So they know what to expect. You know. Did you ever do the same place more than once? Yeah, a couple of times, yeah. Would they have recognised you? Like, well, they wouldn't have known that you were the same robbers. They just know it's this, uh, they're getting robbed again, you know? Okay. And... Um, yeah, so yeah, you would rob the same place more than once if 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 it was if it was nearby or or if you got a good few quid out of it, and um, and depending on where, what was going on, yeah. One of the things I'm really curious about is I know I know in prison, from what I've heard, armed robbers are can, are really at the top of the tree in terms of of respect. I mean, yeah. for, for better or worse, they are. Yeah. Why is that? Why are they so well respected mm. from people inside? Well, um, the armed robber is like, you don't just become an armed robber just um, at the start of your criminal career. Uh, you might start off shoplifting or mugging people or, or doing thefts, assault and all the rest of it, burglaries or whatever. You don't go straight into armed robberies. So maybe the, the armed robber, you know, is a person that's been, in, been involved in crime for a, usually a long time. To do that type of crime, you've got to have the balls to go in there and um, and do it, you know, and so... and. To get in a way with it, and and plus it's with a firearm as well. It's like a, it's a fascination maybe with a firearm as well, and maybe people are always fascinated with guns, like young boys growing up and they've got guns. So yeah. maybe it's something something to do with that. Did you ever? I hope this isn't too personal. Did you ever have to use a firearm? I mean, no. actually, actually fire one. No, I never had to use one. No. Would you have done if necessary? Um, if I had to, then I probably would have. Yeah. And was there any, I know it sounds hard, I'm not being flippant when I say this, mm. but I'm just, if, if I had a gun, I, I sort of, I think I'd be a terrible shot. Like, mm. would you have practised? Uh, you wouldn't practise, you wouldn't need to practise, but um, if I, if you pointed at wherever you, if you pointed your hand, it's like pointing your hand, if you pointed your hand at that door over there, the gun is pointing in the same direction as your finger, so, okay. so if, if someone was doing something or, or if someone with a, if you had to use it, maybe you would use it, you know, maybe you might shoot him in the leg, maybe you might just shoot in the air, you know, and I would have thought if you let a gun off and you shot off into the air, that's like a warning shot, that's going to liven everyone up and they're not going to want to do anything, you know, yeah. and if they came towards me anyway, I would just, if I had to, I would give them a kick and just kick them straight back or, or whatever, you know, because you don't want to get near you and you don't want to shoot them, obviously. Is that, because at a, at a human level, you just would feel bad about shooting someone, or yeah. and or jail time. No, no, it's, it's it's both. I wouldn't want to shoot them, and and plus, you know, it is jail time as well. Because if you do get caught for it, you know you're going to get a bigger sentence uh, for shooting a person, and you don't really want to kill anyone. You're just after the money, aren't you? So, yeah. 
And that's what it's all about, just getting the money and getting out of there. It's not going in, it's not about going in there dominating everyone and trying to control things or anything. You obviously you have to control the place while you're doing your job. And um but that would be it, you know. Did you ever have a job that that went wrong and you had to abort? Um Sometimes you might go to look at a place and we might think we've seen the old bill in plain clothes plotted up around near the place and and, um, and we would suspect this one or that one and we would and we would abort it, yeah. Okay. And if we aborted it, we would just sometimes go to the pub and um, and that would be it, go to the pub or go to the gym. Usually go to the pub because, I don't know, maybe it was the, the stress or you're driving around all day and you're, and, you're, and you're being aware of everything, you're watching everything and so... It would be like a release, you know, just go to the pub, have a few pints and relax and just forget all about it. And one of the things I'm interested in as well, obviously, you say you say that people go, oh, there's no way that you could have been an armed robber. That, that's amazing. I'm really surprised by that. How difficult was it to keep it secret? Because, I mean, I, I'm one of the makers about me. It's not, but I'm a professional show off. I, I don't think I could rob a bank without telling people. Was there, mm. was there a temptation as a younger guy <clears throat> to have swagger? Well, growing up in Harlesden, North West London, where I was brought up, uh, a lot of people in the area knew that that's what we was at. And uh, yeah, so it was it was quite well known in the community that that's what we were doing. Okay. Yeah. And so you wouldn't need to... Um, if I went outside of the area and I met people, I'm not going to be telling them that's what I do for a living. Or, right. and, uh, and so you would keep that quiet. It'd be, it's, it's like second nature to you, you know? And so ev- everyone in the local community knew, were they, what was your reputation? Were they afraid of you or were they just, oh, this is what they do, we'll leave them alone? Uh, no, they wasn't afraid of us. I think they, they, li- they liked us and respected us because we all grew, we grew up in that area and, and we didn't act the we didn't go around giving it the big one just because we was armed robbers or and uh, and trying to bully people or nothing like that. We just carried on as per normal people. Yeah. Just it's just just nothing, you know. So it really was just work. Yeah, it's just our job. Yeah, that was our job. And you go you go and rob a bank or rob a Thomas Cook or a security van or whatever. And and at the end of the day, you put your tools down and that's it. You just go and play. You go and do your stuff. So, so much of modern crime is, you know, obviously is is drug related. Mm. And did you ever consider that as an option? Because that, that, there's a lot of money in that as well. There is a lot of money in it, yeah. But um, we did consider it even years ago. I think we considered it, but it wasn't really for us, you know. Um, I preferred uh, to rob banks than to be dealing in drugs. Because um, even from when I was younger, like, I would think to myself, like... Um, the drugs are just poisoning people, and I said, "Why? Why go around poisoning them? It's not me, you know." Yeah. And whereas robbing a bank or them establishments that have got loads of money, to them it's not a personal thing. You're not robbing the person on the street. You're robbing the institution, the, the banking system, or and and lots of people, lots of people probably even think, "Oh, I'd like to take the money off of them. They're taking the money off of us," and uh, and uh, and that would be it. I'm trying to sort of think about the person behind the counter and mm. and how they must have felt. Could you ever remember them being afraid? Would anybody overreact or? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't remember them uh, ever being afraid or overreacting. I didn't see them overreacting, or yeah. may, maybe they were. They might be running around the back of the counter, like well, yeah. not knowing what to do, and uh, like a headless chicken kind of thing is what you would see sometimes, like someone running around behind the counter. 
probably thinking, what the fuck, not again, or or everything, oh, or it might be their first time, but yeah. But what was the question again? No, I'm I'm just wondering how the if if ever you, I'm just wondering how the person who was at the counter. I'm guessing that they would have had training. They they probably went through okay. that training. Yeah. And I'm guessing if you know if you came in and you robbed the bank, I'm yeah. just wondering what their reaction might have been. Okay, yeah. Just interested to hear. Yeah. To wondering how people mm. react to it. Yeah. Well, their, their reaction would be they, like uh, the bank tellers, for example, they would just stay seated wherever they are, and uh, and they would usually start throwing you out uh, the money, putting the money into the drawer, and that was probably their instructions of what to do and. That was it. They're just following their instructions and doing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, we got our own rules that we're abiding by, and and so we're doing our job, and and they're doing their job. We the way we used to see it. So why 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 hang on to it? Yeah. Just hand the money out. Yeah. Why don't, don't bother running off around the back of the counter or ducking down trying to get out of our way and all that stuff? We said, what what's wrong with them? That's why we'd go off. If like if people jump down behind the counter, we say, what the fuck's wrong with them? Why don't they just fucking hand them all, the money over? You know? Yeah. Instead of like they're trying to hang on to it like as if it's theirs and and it's not, they're not going to get no brownie points from the the bank management as far as we could tell like for being a hero and or trying anything on like you know something yeah. stupid. Yeah. And you mentioned your rules. The rules are your job. You know they they got their rules. You got yours. What were your rules? What? You know. Well, uh, our rules was to get in there quick and just get out again, grab as much as we can. And disappear, you know, before the old bill got there, yeah. and that was it. You mentioned you mentioned that you don't start off as an armed robber. It's in. It's, see, I always find that really interesting because it's very easy, whatever walk of life you're in, I think, to assume. Oh, you meet someone and you go, "Oh, you carpenter, are you? Oh, that's really interesting." You wasn't always assume someone's been that way all their life. Yeah. So, obviously, you get a reputation as being an armed robber, which I can understand. But can you tell me about the sort of like the journey, the journey into that? Mm. Well, growing up, I ended up getting in trouble with the police from when I was about sixteen years old, seventeen years old, um, probably from going out drinking and uh, doing stupid things. But if I'd be breaking in warehouses or shops to get money and offices and all that, I'd be breaking into them right. to get money to go out because uh, I never had a job hardly. Any jo- any type of job that I seemed to get, you know, I never stuck at it. Got a job in McVitie's. I was up there for two days. All the Jaffa cakes were coming over the over the conveyor belt. The women were packing all the Jaffa cakes. They would put them into one box. Then that one box would turn into 12 boxes. That would go into one big box. The big box would come to me. I'd put that down on the pallet. I stuck that for two days. I goes, I'm off. I can't do something like that. And then because I thought... And when I went back to get my money, I remember the manageress, she said to me, um, you know, there's a lot of people trying to get this job and all this kind of stuff. She said, oh, um, and we wanted, she said, some, she goes, we, we tried to get some white faces in here and all this kind of stuff. This is back years ago, you know, and she goes, we tried to get some white faces in here and, and we've got, and we've given you the job and, and, and basically I, I, they feel like I had, I had disrespected them by not turning up or whatever. And I thought, well, the job's not for me. <laughs> standing there at the end of a conveyor belt all day long I'd done it for two days and that was that stuck it that was sticking it out you know yeah. and any other job that I got just it just it was usually on the construction industry and and um and because I'd go out drinking on the weekend then I wouldn't be fit for work on a Monday and uh and then so the job would fall through one mainly because of that not turning up and if I was doing that every other week even if I was working for a regular guy 
I would feel bad about going in on a Tuesday. I say I've got to go and tell him another story about why I didn't turn in on the Monday. And I wouldn't want to be lying to him. I'm thinking I can't be bothered making up bullshit for him. I thought I'm not into this. And so um, thanks when you're so you're breaking in here, you're breaking in there, and um, and you're getting locked up here and there over the years for yeah. all these types of things. Like some you were uh, I broke into some um, I broke into some place, and when I went to I was working at a car showroom uh, cleaning the cars, valeting them and. And I turned up for work and there was three coppers there. And, uh, and they said to me, oh, Vincent Bradish. And I said, yeah, that's right. And they said, oh, you're under arrest for a burglary. And so uh, and that was it. I got remanded into custody for that. That was just another thing. That was just another thing, you know. And so every year for a few years, I think from about 17, 18 to 21, I was getting locked up nearly every year for at least six months on remand. Then I would get out and one thing would lead to another. Next and I was, so I was just always in and out of jobs. Yeah. And then, um, and that was it. And then years later, when I'm um, drinking in my local pub, a few of the lads in there was uh, robbing banks. And that's it. That's how I got into it, you know. Often mixing with them, hearing about it, and uh, and you're seeing them. They're getting away all the time, and and you're thinking you ain't got hardly no money. So you get into robbing a bank, and next thing you're robbing a bank, and you come out with ten or fifteen grand, and you're thinking, fuck it, no, that's not too bad for thirty seconds in the bank. Well, there'd be a lot of jaffa cakes, to pay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And that was it. So next thing you're in it, and so you're doing it for a few years. But even by the time I got nicked, I wasn't arrested doing anything. And uh, by the time I got nicked, I think I was I was getting a bit sick of it. And I thought because I wasn't going anywhere with it, and it wasn't. I think I was just you're not doing anything all day because you ain't got nothing constructive, or the only constructive when well, you have got constructive things to do like going to the gym and this that and the other. But that's only taking up a little bit of your time. Yeah, there's no meaning. To, it's like there's no meaning to life, you know. Yeah. And so I was getting bored of it. Because that, that was one of the things I wanted to ask, I guess, because it becomes a job. Any any job can can become boring, I think. So mm. it's it's hard to imagine that that you would have days where you think, I don't know if I want to do this today. Would that happen? Well, you wouldn't do them that often. If you went out once a week or every other, because we've seen the police following us a number of times over the years. So you wouldn't go to work every week. If you'd seen the old bill, you'd say, all right, they're, they're on us anyway. So you you just 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 go around doing your normal stuff, a bit of shopping and going to the gym, taking your kids out or whatever. And, um, and so you would do that until you don't see them anymore sometime. And you think, oh, they probably got sick of watching us and well, they can't watch you all the time because like, it's going to cost them money for them. And, um, and that was it. And next one, you would do another one. And that, that money might last you for another couple of months depending on how much you're spending, that would be it, you know? Yeah, I'm just thinking so 10, 10, 15 grand over a few months, I could probably live very comfortably. Yeah, I know, yeah. But the thing is, I, w- I wouldn't spend it extravag- extravagantly. I wasn't buying loads of ju- jewellery or loads of cars or exotic holidays or nothing. I would just keep the money and just spend it. Every day you're going out, just take a couple of hundred quid with you and that would do you do you for a day or a couple of days and... Is is that because if you if you showed off too much with money, that would draw attention? Yeah, of course it would. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do that. Okay. Yeah, so you'd keep that down, you know. And like, if I was around my local pub and I'm going out, if I had a hundred quid in my pocket, that that would do me to go to the pub with. Yeah. And because uh, you don't want to make people jealous as well, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, it, it makes sense. And if people become aware of your reputation, was anybody ever trying to sort of undermine you? Because I think as you progress through the ranks of the crime world, I'm assuming there are other people who are doing it as well. 
does anyone think, oh, you know, the Bradish brothers, were, you know, was there any conflict or were you more low-key? No, there wasn't. Uh, we was liked by a lot of people. Yeah. We were liked and respected by people and, and you get, you're treating the same. You're treating the people basically the same way they're treating you. Yeah. It's the same in, it seems like in all walks of life, you treat people how you want to be treated. Was there like a, a criminal grapevine? For, for, for By that, I mean, in, in, in my line of work, I, I know who's doing what. Would yeah. you would you sort of be aware of? Oh yeah, so and so's doing this, and they they would know what you were doing. Were criminals talking about each other at the time? Because yeah, we only mixed with our own, like uh, with our own with our own crew and uh, with all our own friends that was in. Uh, we'd usually drink in the same area right. in northwest London. But um, but what I did notice the difference, like when I went to prison and you'd meet drug dealers in there, it seemed like it seemed like they all nearly knew. They knew lots of other drug dealers and all that stuff because with a drug dealing game, you've got a you've got a mix with other people and you're buying a you might be buying a parcel of coke or a load of other drugs off of this person or that person. So you're the way I've seen it, you're mixing with other drug dealers. There's more of a chance for them to be getting nicked for what they're doing because they're meeting this person, meeting that person. They don't know them. I met people that was in the prison and like, um, there might be five or ten of them in a dock on trial at court. And um, and they'd be in the dock with people that they don't even know, and I would say, well, look at look at the difference with us. Look, we're going straight into the bank, two or three of us rob the bank. No one else knows, and even though the people in our community would know that we were robbing banks, no one knows exactly what bank you're doing, and so you wouldn't tell anyone that. Yeah, oh, that makes that no. really makes sense actually. Mm. I I'm going to ask a very personal question, I guess. Now it is personal. Um, obviously, you have a son. Yep. What uh, if if your son said to you, Dad? I, I want to be a career criminal. Um, what would you say to that? I'll tell him, don't bother. There's no point in being a career criminal. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and thankfully, uh, thank God, he he's not interested in being a career criminal. He's happy that I've changed my life around. Yeah. And um, and he's not interested in that at all. And so I'm I'm glad of that. Does he find it hard to believe that his dad was once a bank robber as well? Well, um, I've been out of prison seven years. Well, about eight years, maybe. I'm not sure now. And um, I don't think he finds it hard to believe. Maybe maybe he did when I first got out. And as he started growing up, and uh, it probably, I don't know what it was like for him at school. It might have been embarrassing him for him at school. Because I remember hearing of a story that when he'd gone to school one day, I think the teacher had put pictures of in the classroom of me and my brother Sean, which is his uncle. Yeah. And it stuck them up in the school. And um, and so what was they doing? in the, What was that doing at the school? And... And then we've got the, the surname. It's not like it's a popular surname, uh, Bradish. So, and he had the same surname as me. So they probably um, that was probably embarrassing for him. Yeah. And so it's not a good thing. No, that's that's horrible actually. Mm. That, yeah. That's not a very good teacher. So a kid, well, a kid's got to have to deal with that when he when he's that age. You know, he might have been ten, twelve, thirteen years old. And so, um, yeah, but I wouldn't recommend him to become a career criminal uh, or or anyone else for it. Because the way I see it now, it's like you fell into the trap. You're getting involved in crime, and and you're 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 creating um, a career for other people. They're making a, a living off of your back. The probation service, the solicitors, the barristers, the judges, and and all the all the all of them, the people that's in the legal industry, they would be out of a job if you wasn't if you wasn't uh, going around committing offences. 
you said to me when we were having coffee earlier that um, the last time you were in a room like this, you know, with a with a tape recorder, was being interrogated by police, which I, yeah. you know, quite found quite amusing. How how would an interrogation work? I mean, because is it because obviously I'm only going by what I've seen on the telly. I'm not yeah. being ignorant, yeah. but I'm just you mentioned about sort of bank robbers being different to how they are on the films. What was a police interrogation like? I mean, how, how would it how would that work? Basically, you're just. You're in a police station, you're in the cell, you're just waiting for them to come and interview you. And then they, uh, usually two of them would come and just take you down to the interview room and ask you, um, with your solicitor present, um, to answer a, f- answer a few questions. Okay. And you're usually saying no comment anyway. And I said no comment when I was arrested. And um, even though I, I wanted to answer the questions that uh, they wanted to put to me regarding these armed robberies, I wanted to answer them, but my solicitor had advised me not to. And so um, then when you get to court, the judge said, why didn't he answer questions when he was arrested? Even though it's your legal right not to answer any questions. What can you do? So you go in there and the two coppers ask you a few questions about whatever offence you've been nicked for. And you're usually saying no comment. And I would be saying no comment all the time. And, and that would be it. Half an hour, one hour in there. And they've done their job. You've, you've kept your mouth shut and you go back to your cell. Did they have strategies that, that they would use? Um, they probably have, but they're not They're not going to be known to you. You just know that they're going to ask questions about whatever crime you've been arrested for. Yeah. And um, they're going to go through their normal stuff. And um, if they're expecting no comment, then they don't expect it to go anywhere. And uh, if they want, they're going to apply to have you remanded into custody. Right. Yeah. And so if it's a serious offence... You, you know you're going to get remanded, you know. And for armed robbery, you're getting remanded. Okay. I'm I'm wondering if you can tell me what it... If you can remember... Because you've got 22 years, right? That's right, yeah. What, can you remember how it felt to hear, to hear the judge say, you, mm. you know, I'm sentencing you to 22 years? How did that feel? Mm. Yeah, I was glad to hear him say 22 years. Because I was expecting him to say about 30 so um right okay yeah so that's why I, I was relieved I said ooh thank fuck for that and I was glad as well that I didn't get a life sentence you know because I I hadn't to get a life sentence you've got to have been you got to have been convicted of a second serious violent offence and I and I hadn't been so um that was my first serious violent offence so I didn't get the life sentence so when I knew I was getting a fixed sentence like of 22 years I know I've got a release date and as, so I was expecting over 30 years and uh, about 30 years. And when I got 22, I was relieved. There's a system that they've got f- for robberies. It's like a free a free tier system. And if you get nicked for minor robberies, you could get a sentence maybe up to eight years or nine years. If it's um, banks and building societies and, and all that kind of stuff. If there's no serious violence being used, then you should be, you should be getting uh, 18 years or less. And so when I'd read all this paperwork, these, these were the... The, the the law when I read all this stuff I thought well I'm not, I shouldn't be getting a sentence for more than eighteen years, so I kept on appealing right into different solicitors, and a lot of them are saying oh you haven't got any grounds to appeal in that blah 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 and but I kept on at them, and in two thousand and seven I got um I, I I'd got a solicitor to um to appeal against my sentence and I went up to the court of appeal, and they knocked two years off, right. which wasn't hardly worth them knocking off, and but it's better than nothing you know but. Because you get two years knocked off, but you're only getting out a year early. So they're not because they they knocked my sentence down to twenty years, and out of that you've got to do about um, 
I think it's about two thirds before you've got to get an automatic. They have to release you after two thirds. Right. But before the two thirds are up, you're eligible for parole after about the 10 year mark. And so um, at the 10 year mark, I went for parole. I didn't get it. I appealed against that decision and then um, I lost that appeal. Then when I went for my second uh, parole hearing, I didn't get that either. And then I appealed against that. And I think I got out on that appeal. Mentally then, how, how do you prepare? Because obviously you're working out in your head anyway, how many years you're going to serve. How, how, how mentally do you tell yourself, right, I'm probably going to be here for 10 years? How, how do you cope with that? How do you get your head around it? You just, um, at some stages, like I remember, I think when I went up to the Court of Appeal in 2004 to try and appeal against my conviction, I thought that there, uh, there might be a chance of us walking out because the trial was completely unfair. We didn't get a proper trial. And and from reading the case, the case studies and, and the law books, plenty of people had uh, their convictions quashed because they had had unfair trials. And that might be people, we, if we were looking at other armed robbery cases and people have been charged with two or three armed robberies and, uh, and the person said they didn't have a fair trial for whatever reason, um, well, we said, well, look at ours. We're charged with a load more robberies than them. My brother Sean had to represent himself for about three days. So saying, look how unfair this is. And plus, um, Sean was saying things that could have been detrimental to, to my case like uh, he would be, could have been saying things by ac- accident, uh, which my barrister should have stood up and said, look, that, that's, that's not allowed to be said or whatever. But my barrister didn't do that. And so my barrister sold me down the river. And, um, and I remember a feeling in, in, when we got knocked back on that appeal, like we got refused leave to appeal. Um, I went back and I thought, I, I remember sitting in my cell and I, t- I felt like I was just falling down a big hole, you know, and I couldn't touch the sides. I thought... This is fucking unbelievable. I thought, this system is so crooked and rotten. I thought, how can they say that we had a fair trial? You think you're going to go up to the Court of Appeal, which is supposed to be, um, they're supposed to be the safety net, and you go up in front of three judges. Our barrister argued our points of appeal for me and Sean, and uh, and then they, the, the three judges, they said, oh, we're just going to go out the back and we'll discuss the points of appeal that Jerome Lynch, the QC, had, had raised on our behalf and they went out to the they went out the back of the courtroom and me and my brother Sean went out we was taken out and we were sitting out the back for about 30 seconds or one minute and we were called back in and I thought they can't have speak they can't have spoke about anything they've only been out the back door 30 seconds what could you speak about yeah and so they, as soon as they went out they came back in and they said no leave to appeal refused and I thought what a proper stitch up this is they've already made the decision before we got to the court and a, and a barrister confirmed that. He said, yeah, he goes, the decision was already made before you got here that you're, that you're not going anywhere. And so we thought, what? Well, it's just rotten. The system is rotten. Okay. Mm. The, the, there was a third person involved as well, wasn't there? That's right. Yeah, Stephen Roberts, yeah. He turned Queen's evidence and, uh, and gave evidence against us. He said he committed the robberies with us. Okay. But he did he? Yeah, he did, yeah. Okay. But we denied it because we, we said... Um, from reading Steve Roberts's um, interviews that he done with the police, first of all he was doing the interviews. He had his solicitor with him, and uh, and the copper asked him during the during the interview. He goes, "Oh, have you um, oh, can you remember anything about this robbery, Steve? Can you remember anything about that robbery?" And he was saying, "I can't remember anything." He goes, "I was mostly out of my head all the time during these robberies, and there were so many of ro- so many robberies that he yeah. could, that he couldn't remember the details of anything." 
So they called in, they stopped the interview with him. They, his solicitor didn't come back into the room when they started another interview. So he's now came in without the solicitor. And uh, now the copper said, Steve, I know it's a silly question to ask you, but can you remember the number plate that that car was on that you used in 1995, five years beforehand on an armed robbery? And with me and Sean, when we read the interviews, we would just be cracking up laughing. We goes, this is just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. How can someone remember the number plate of a car that they used on a robbery five years before? And um, and he would say, yeah, he goes, oh, it was a... Uh, and he would start telling them the number plate and what colour the car was. And uh, and they'd say, well, just to confirm we're talking about the same robbery, can you um, can you tell us how much money was stolen? And he'd say, oh, 10 grand got taken. And they'd say, well, that's funnily. Funnily, you mentioned that. He said, but... The, because we say, it says here in the paperwork that it was £9,995. And and so he goes, this is just... Like, they're showing him the paperwork. They're sitting there in the interview with him. He's got no solicitor. And they're showing him the paperwork, the photographs of the robberies in progress, because they've got them all, de- all the pictures developed and that. And so they're showing the, the pictures, written statements, and, um, and that was it. So they're spoon-feeding him all the information. Right. And then asking him questions about it. And so... That's what happened, you know. And uh, so next one, he gave the evidence against us. Yeah. And that, and that's why you ended up going to jail. Yeah, but when we when we when we read his interviews, we 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 seen from the interviews some of the paperwork that the, the prosecution wasn't relying on. We seen that back in 1995, uh, Roberts had committed an armed robbery on a building society, and um, he used he was driving his friend's car that day, a Volkswagen Golf. Right. And he done the robbery been convicted of it my brother got convicted of it as well Roberts made the getaway in that car and someone spotted the number plate and they wrote it down and gave it to the police and that evening the police seen the car driving down Willesden which is right where the robbery happened they seen the car drive along tried to pull him over and he he drove down the road he he tried to make his escape he crashed the car got out got a handgun out from the boot of the car and pointed it at the two coppers and threatened to shoot them and uh, he ran off they chased after him they caught him and uh, two days later, he got bail. From then, we believed that he turned police informer working for them. And so, when we was uh, when me and Sean was arrested, we we was uh, saying to our solicitor Edward Fail, pre- uh, the, our solicitor was named Edward Fail Bradshaw and Watson from East London, and we was we were saying to them Eddie Preston, we goes look, we want the paperwork, the interviews that Roberts made when he was arrested in 1995 for threatening to kill the two coppers. We said we want that paperwork. Because we believe he must have been questioned about the robberies, and um, and it goes especially as he's in the getaway car still when they when they've tried to pull him up, and uh, but we couldn't get that paperwork. They said no. What's what's the point? They, they said the prosecution have said he's not working for the the police, and so they're not going to produce that paperwork for us. We goes well. How can we prove that he's working for them if you're not going to hand over the paperwork? Because if he was if he was working with the police and uh, committing the robberies, then uh, the police were guilty of conspiracy to rob. Yeah. And my my brother's barrister, that's what our brother's barrister had said to us at the time. He goes, look, he goes, who's on trial here, you or them? He goes, even though they could be guilty of conspiracy to rob, if they're letting him do these robberies for whatever reason, um, and maybe taking money off of him, then um, he goes, they're guilty of conspiracy to rob, and who's on trial here, you or them? And so that was it, you know. So we couldn't prove it, and... um, and uh, when Sean was asking the, the detective chief inspector who was giving evidence, Sean was asking him, have you ever seen me or Vincent commit a, commit a robbery? You've been following us for years and you're saying we've done all these robberies. And the copper would say, no, I haven't. 
I've never seen you doing anything. So we goes, well, who else do we need to call as witnesses? And we wanted to call, we wanted to recall Stephen Roberts as well, because he'd give evidence for about three days. And um, my barrister didn't hardly ask him anything. And um, and Sean's barrister at the time, well, he, he didn't do much good. So none, none of the barristers really asked him questions about his own interviews that he'd made, where he's being spoon-fed all this information. They should have they should have been asking him about that. Was what was going on there? And and like the paper was there. You got the paperwork in front of you, and they're asking him a question, and he answers um 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 just uh, um in an R in, yeah. and not answering the question. And the couples would go on to another question. We said, "What the fuck is this?" They he ain't even they haven't even got an answer out of him for the last question during his interview, and now he's um now he's they're moving on to the next question. All all that skullduggery that was going on in their interviews. We were told that when he gets to court, they're going to unravel it. But when we got to court, they didn't try to unravel it at all. And so that's how my brother Sean ended up representing himself, because he sacked his barrister. And that was it, you know. Another barrister came in, a South African guy, and um, he, he asked Sean about the case, and he looked at some of the paperwork, and he went back upstairs and said to the old Bailey judge, Judge Forrester, he asked him, um, oh, he said, oh, we need an adjournment. He goes, this is such a big case. He goes, I can't do my legal duty to uh, to represent Mr. Bradish uh, professionally. He goes, unless we have an adjournment, because it's going to take me a while to read over the paperwork. Yeah. And the judge said, he goes, no, we're not having an adjournment. The case is going on now, and you're taking it on from now. And um, and, the, and the barrister goes, well, I, I can't represent him really. There's nothing I can do. And then so then he advised Sean. He said, you better start representing yourself. He goes, because this they're going to go ahead without you if you don't. And so that was it. So Sean came up and started representing himself, and that was it. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So it it was it was difficult, and uh, like, I mean, you're not used to public speaking as well. And 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 Sean was already doing a life sentence from the year before, so he had a lot of pressure on him, like knowing that if he got convicted on this trial, he's going to get another few more life sentences to go with two or three that he was doing from his previous trial. And so. Um, I remember him telling me like his back was sweating, uh, like his legs were shaking, the adrenaline was yeah. making his fr- throat dry and all the rest of it. Like, um, But after two or three days of, of him talking, he was getting better at it. And, and we copied the, um, the prosecutor, the way the, the prosecutor was running the trial. We, we did the same thing. Like, the prosecutor would go through all the paperwork and, and all the photographs. And so we we just done that. And, uh, and by the end of it, when Sean had finished doing his closing speech, that comes near the end of a trial. Yeah. I looked over at the jury. All the jurors were sat there with their mouths. Every one of them, all their jaws were hanging open because, like, they hadn't told the jury hadn't been told how Sean was arrested because he was arrested in a previous trial. Yeah. And so they was like, they were in this case, they were saying, "How are they going? How is? How are you going to say you arrested Sean? Because you can't say he's already been convicted of that. Like he was sat in a car, armed police surrounded the car, shot the tires out, and dragged him and his mates out." And all the, and all this kind of stuff, but so but Sean uh, Sean told the jury how he'd been arrested and blah blah blah. He's had another trial, uh, how he'd been set up by Stephen Roberts, and so they were getting a clearer picture of what was going on because with what was going on in our case, they couldn't they probably couldn't understand where's all these robberies coming from. It's like they never heard of a case probably with so many robberies. Yeah, but what um what I, so I'm guessing Stephen Roberts's motivation was. Reduced sentence? Yeah, reduced sentence. He got eight years, which I heard was reduced to six on appeal. Mm. And he got a new identity, and plus 
He sold his story to the newspapers after the trial. He got ten grand off of the Observer, and he probably and and his ex girlfriend had come to court and said that he's already had a, I think it was about ten or twenty grand off of them, and uh, he said he's going to milk them for everything that they can get that he can get, and so he got a reduced sentence and financial incentives as well, and his his family was removed, like their house, the mortgage was paid off, and so he had a few financial incentives as well. Mm. It sound it sounds on paper like it's worked out well for him, but do you think it has? Well, it's worked out. Yeah, it worked. It worked out well for him, but he's got to live with what he done, doesn't he? So, yeah. yeah. And so, um, if that's if he if he, he I don't, he's not he's not really one for be feeling guilty about anything that he ever done anyway. And so he hasn't got. I don't think he's got much of a conscience. He'll easily be able to live with what he done. Like when we read his interviews, he's talking about loads of other people in his interviews as well. It wasn't just us. He's talking about drug dealers all all around our local area, that where we where we grew up. The police would ask him, "Oh, Steve, what happened to that firearm?" And uh, he'd say, "Oh, you got that when you raided so and so's house." So he was going around selling guns to people or trying to get other people to do robberies, and he like, he was basically going around setting other people up in the area. Wow, blimey! I never heard anything and, quite like that. And, and, and he like even when he. He'd gone round even in our local area in Harlesden, northwest London, and it, one day he'd smashed a pub up, and it was all on camera in there. The police didn't nick him, so it was like he had a ticket uh, to get out of jail free, you know. Yeah. How how? Because the police must have to judge somebody's character then. Because I mean, it's are informers rare? They must be. I don't. I don't think they're rare. They're probably. They're probably. Um, I don't know whether they're two a penny nowadays, but are, are they rare? Well. Oh, I couldn't really. Well, I, no. I would just have to be guessing if I said well, yeah. whether they're rare or not. But for the likes of him, because like he probably been, he'd been involved in crime for for years, and um, and he was mixing with a lot of people, drug dealers and that. And yeah. so the thing is, you could see from his paperwork, he's he's grassing people up left, right, and centre, and uh, and the drug dealers because they're mixing with so many people, they probably didn't have know who was who they could trust and who they couldn't. That is the end of part one. Thank you very much for listening. Part two will be out next week and it's every bit as fascinating as today's episode, I promise you. Thank you very much for your support. Thank you very much for the kind messages that I get. Please do go to the website, conversationswithcriminals.com. Please keep listening to the podcast. It's very much appreciated. There are people who listen to this podcast from all over the world, people in Australia, people in America. There's one person in India who listens as well. So hello, if that's you, thank you very much. Much appreciated. So I will speak to you again. Take care. Bye for now.